Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. More than $10 million in foreign cash from more than 20 companies. That's what the House GOP says they've discovered so far about the extent of the Biden family's business dealings. But is the president directly involved? We'll take a look. Money laundering, theft and false statements. Those are some of the federal charges Republican Congressman George Santos faced today. There are 13 charges in all, and he denies all of them. What's the prospects for free speech and for Tucker Carlson after the commentator announces his plans to host a show on Twitter? We have analysis. Migrants piling up at the border as Title 42 comes to a close. To deal with the expected influx, New York, Chicago, and the state of Florida are scrambling for their own solutions. The investigation by the House Oversight Committee into the Biden family's business dealings revealed bank records made public today that show a complex money trail from multiple countries. House GOP investigators say the money went to President Biden and nearly a dozen members of his family in exchange for influence in United States policy decisions. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more details from Capitol Hill. Let's see that now. So $10 million, 20 companies in four bank accounts. That's essentially what's laid out in the House Oversight Committee's latest memo. The lawmakers kept pointing to what they call a pattern of foreign cash flow. They gave examples where countries, including Romania and Chinese Communist Party officials, would deposit money into so-called shell companies, and then repeatedly one-third of that money would make its way into the bank accounts of Biden family members. Robinson Walker received a $3 million wire from State Energy HK Limited, a Chinese entity. Over the next three months, Robinson Walker LLC sent 16 incremental payments of to more than uh, to, to over five different Biden accounts. For what? What did they do? What was the business? What service did they provide? What value did they add? But the question remains, is there evidence that President Biden himself is directly involved? It sounds like you all are still trying to prove President Biden's direct involvement here. Uh, we believe that there was a return on the investment. The vice president during the last year of the Obama administration traveled around the world. He talked a lot about foreign aid in different countries. If you're doing something legitimate, if you're providing something of value, why not just get the payment directly from the, the payer? And Congressman Byron Donalds, after that presser, pointed out to me a specific policy where he's looking at, that is Hunter Biden's involvement in a cobalt company based in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is literally has his home bill from last Congress that puts about $1.2 trillion in subsidies directly to the energy sources that use cobalt. Now, President Biden has repeatedly denied that his family members have received money from China or from other countries. The White House today dismissing it as a way for the House GOP to gain political points, writing in a statement that the allegations are a pattern of making absurd claims. And House Democrats today also shrugged it off when I asked them whether they felt there needs to be more transparency. To look at anything that the Oversight Committee is, is doing um, without a healthy layer of, of skepticism, they seem more intent uh, on um, uh, stoking uh, conspiracy theories than, than anything else. 
Chairman Comer today laid out just four banks that are involved here, but he says there are as many as 12 banks, and he says he is preparing to issue a fresh round of subpoenas to those banks. Now, Congressman Byron Donald says that he believes it's only a matter of time before they connect this evidence back to President Biden directly. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. In New York, Congressman George Santos was arraigned in federal court today on a 13-count indictment. Among the charges are accusations of fraud and money laundering. NTD's Arlene Richards has more details. Fraudulent schemes and brazen misrepresentations. That's how federal prosecutors describe the alleged actions of Congressman George Santos. Santos is facing a 13-count indictment returned on Tuesday by a federal grand jury. Santos surrendered earlier today and was arraigned this afternoon at the federal courthouse in central Islip, New York. He pleaded not guilty and is expected to be released on a $500,000 bond. The embattled Republican representative was elected to Congress last November and sworn in as the U.S. representative for New York's 3rd Congressional District in January. Federal prosecutors had launched an investigation last December into his speculative financial disclosure filings. Santos had admitted that he lied about his education, work history, and numerous aspects of his personal life. We asked some of his constituents for their reactions. If you perform not so good actions, you'll get the return on your investment. The guy is um, not suited for Congress. The indictment returned by a federal grand jury on Tuesday states that Santos applied for and received unemployment benefits while he was employed and running for Congress. It further states that he pocketed campaign contributions and used that money to pay down personal debts and buy designer clothing. The 13 counts include seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. A number of House Republicans are calling for Santos to resign. Uh, he should have resigned a long time ago. Uh, he's an embarrassment to our party. He's an embarrassment to the United States Congress. If the charges have veracity and they're true, uh, then he should not be a member. But House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is taking a neutral stance. You walk through like every American, you have your day in court and go through it, just like when another member inside the House. Santos would never put on committee, so he won't serve on committee. You go through his time of trial, we'll find out how the outcome is. The charges in the indictment are just allegations. But if Santos is convicted of the charges, he could face a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. Steph? Thanks, Arlene. Next, Title 42 ends tomorrow, and multiple U.S. cities are bracing for an expected surge of illegal immigrants. NTD Sam Wang brings us the latest. Migrants lined up at the border fence in the Mexican city of Tijuana just one day before the end of Title 42, a public health measure that allows the U.S. to expel illegal immigrants amid the COVID-19 pandemic. We decided to hurry. We are waiting. Title 42 is almost over. It'll be more difficult for us to cross, so we decided to travel before May 11. In a phone call on Tuesday, U.S. President Biden spoke to the Mexican president, discussing the urgency of reducing crowding in northern Mexico. The Mexican government is sending out law enforcement personnel to its border with Guatemala, aiming to turn away migrants before they reach the U.S. southern border. U.S. cities are now bracing for the expected influx. In New York City, officials are scrambling to find housings for the arrival of thousands in the upcoming days. 
The Big Apple is even considering closing down sections of its street in several neighborhoods. Furthermore, Mayor Eric Adams is rolling out a controversial plan, busing illegal immigrants to the city's neighboring suburbs. New York City taxpayers spend nearly $5 million a day to host illegal immigrants in the city. Meanwhile, in Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has declared a state of emergency, fast as the sanctuary city reaches a breaking point. Chicago has received more than 8,000 illegal immigrants since August 2022. Lightfoot urged Texas Governor Greg Abbott to stop the buses, saying that the city is running out of resources to accommodate the continuous influx. Abbott replied that border towns are expecting 10,000 people per day, more than Chicago has received over many months. Sam Wong, NTD News, New York. And the governor of Texas is asking for President Biden to send tens of thousands of troops to the border. In response, Biden pointed to the 1,500 troops and said he doesn't have the funding from Congress to send more. Over in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is also preparing for the end of Title 42. He signed a sweeping bill today targeting illegal immigration. The bill requires employers to use E-Verify to check employment eligibility, punishes those who knowingly employ illegal immigrants, and enhances penalties for human smuggling. It also prohibits local governments from issuing ID cards to illegal immigrants and invalidates ones issued in other states. Hospitals will also need to collect and report health care costs for illegal immigrants. DeSantis calls this bill the most ambitious anti-illegal immigration law in the country. Not backing down, President Biden reaffirms his opposition to Republicans' demands to cut spending. What's next in the heated fight over how to raise the nation's debt limit? NTD's Iris Tao has the latest from the White House. Good evening, Steph. Ahead of another meeting with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, President Biden is staying on offense and pushing back again against Republicans' plan to cut spending in exchange for raising the nation's debt ceiling. Here's what President Biden said in a speech in New York on Wednesday. Watch. They're literally, not figuratively, holding the economy hostage unless we give in to their threats and demands as to what they think we should be doing with regard to the budget. And basically, Biden's message here is that he wants to separate whether or not to raise the nation's debt ceiling from a larger discussion he is willing to have on how the federal government should spend its money. But he's also highlighting fundamental differences in how he versus Republicans would like spending cuts to be done. Watch. Would you rather cut big pharma or, or cut health care for Americans? But of course, Republicans do not agree with how President Biden is characterizing their plan. And you hear House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in pushing back on Biden's claims after a meeting they had on Tuesday at the White House. <laughs> it's a lie. This is a political game they're trying to play instead of sit down and really negotiate. But Biden and congressional leaders will meet again on Friday to talk about the debt ceiling. And we will see if they will come together to make any concession or reach any common ground as the clock continues to take toward a national default that could come as early as June. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Elon Musk is responding to claims that he came to a deal with Tucker Carlson after the former Fox News host released a viral video saying he would bring his popular show to Twitter. The Twitter CEO says Carlson will be subject to the same rules as every other user of the platform. Here to discuss this and other aspects of Carlson's move is constitutional attorney Jenna Ellis, who I spoke with earlier today. 
Jenna Ellis, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Tucker Carlson's move to Twitter, what is the impact that we're looking at here, especially on the political and media landscapes? What's your take? Yeah, I think that he's going to be an incredibly important voice, especially leading up to the 2024 presidential election. He's already had a, such a phenomenal presence on Fox News, but mainly for a conservative audience. Uh, this move to Twitter now exposes him to even more people from both sides and especially in the middle. And that's an incredibly important demographic. So I think he's going to end up reaching a lot of people that probably wouldn't have otherwise turned on Fox News. And he may actually uh, get viewers that will become conservative after listening to his content. And his first video since leaving Fox on Twitter actually racked up many more views than his average uh, viewing on Fox. So do you see that this might affect other conservative show hosts? Do you think they'll all move to Twitter or what's going on here? Yeah, well, I'm actually one of them. And so once Elon opened Twitter as a streaming platform, I stream uh, my own show on Salem Media as one of the platforms on Twitter. And I've seen um, thousands of new viewers that have come over because they followed me on Twitter and they don't necessarily go to some of these other OTT platforms or streaming services, but because they just see it up in their newsfeed, then they go, oh, wait a minute, I wanna listen to this content. And then they end up becoming a regular listener. So I think for a lot of show hosts from all over the spectrum, not just conservatives, they're going to add Twitter as a streaming platform. And I think it was really Really wise of Elon Musk to open Twitter to that type of content. Elon Musk has been accused of giving a platform to racists and those who spread mis- and disinformation. And many people, including some Democratic lawmakers, say that they disapprove of Musk's acquisition of Twitter for this very reason. Now that Twitter's set to host, host Tucker Carlson's new show, do you anticipate there being more regulation, government regulation of Twitter? Well, I think that the Democrats certainly would like to. And with everything coming out in the Twitter files, we've already seen how big tech uh, colluded with the government under the old Twitter model. And so I think that, uh, of course, the Republicans are liking the fact that there is more freedom of speech and are championing what Elon is doing. So I think it really depends on what the balance of power is in 2024. And this is why uh, people tend to, uh, who, who actually want free speech, tend to vote conservative and Republican so that we can have a forum where we can all freely debate openly. And now, even though Elon has platformed people that I certainly disagree with, I'm not going to tell him, censor those people just because I disagree with them. More speech is better. And he's also had the community notes feature. Um, so for any sort of like disinformation or misinformation, it is crowdsourcing, but it is an opportunity for people to push back on large accounts and say, wait a minute, this isn't precisely accurate. There's reports that Tucker could be bound to Fox by contract until 2025, and that that could actually prevent him from hosting another show. Do you think that he could run into legal issues if he does host a show on Twitter? Well, I think this is actually a really savvy legal move for Tucker to go to Twitter because uh, from what I have seen, at least in media reports, I haven't seen his actual contract, of course, with Fox, but from what media is suggesting, uh, the, his contract is non-compete with other media news networks that really wouldn't qualify uh, for Twitter. That is a social media platform. So this seems to be a really great workaround where he can still reach an even larger audience than Fox while his lawyers are negotiating his exit 
And his lawyers have come out and said that the non-compete is actually non-binding because of other breaches of contract that the Fox executives have had. So I expect that's going to be a negotiated, um, extensive legal battle. But in the interim, uh, from my view, unless there's something you know contained, which of course there might be in the contract that I'm not aware of, just posting on social media, whether it's long form content, it's video, it's just text, uh, those types of things really don't fall under a non-compete, at least in terms of a major media network. So Tucker seems very free to do this. And Elon Musk even came out today and said that there's been no deal reached spe specifically between Tucker and Twitter. So this is just Tucker posting content on his own social media platform. That seems to be a really, really great legal workaround. Thank you so much for your insights and your take on all this. Jenna Ellis, great to speak with you. Thanks. Thanks so much. Always happy to join you. Coming up, a proposal in California could cost the state billions of dollars in reparations, but the governor didn't say whether or not he would endorse the payments. Consumer prices are cooling down. April saw the 10th straight month of slower inflation, but we're not out of the woods yet. NTD's Don Ma will bring us advice on how to weather the changes. The state of California has been ordered to pay a family millions of dollars after a man died in police custody three years ago. Just a warning, the following video may be disturbing to some viewers. On Tuesday, lawyers said California will pay a $24 million civil rights settlement to the family of Edward Bronstein. The 38-year-old man died in police custody following a traffic stop on suspicion of driving under the influence in March 2020. Multiple officers restrained him while trying to take a blood sample. Seven California Highway Patrol officers and a nurse were charged with involuntary manslaughter earlier this year. Attorneys for Bronstein's young children said it's the largest civil rights settlement of its kind by the state of California. It's the second largest nationally since the city of Minneapolis paid $27 million in the George Floyd case. And California's Reparations Task Force recently proposed paying up to a million dollars to qualified black residents. California's governor responded, but didn't indicate whether he'd support the recommendation. NTD's David Lamb has the details. California Governor Gavin Newsom has said that reconciling with descendants of slaves in the United States is about more than cash payments. Now, this comes after a reparations task force that he established in 2020 recommended to create a claims office. The claims office would compensate up to $1.2 million to each black resident. The governor told KCRA on Tuesday that, quote, dealing with legacy is about much more than cash payments and that many of the task force's recommendations are critical items that his office is already addressing. Newsom added he will continue to work on advancing systemic changes to ensure an inclusive and equitable California. The task force's proposal could cost billions of dollars, which include estimates for health care disparities, housing discrimination, incarceration, and policing. Whether giving money, just simply giving money to a population is going to help that money, that, that population to do better, I'm not quite sure. And I think money shouldn't be involved 
whatsoever. Maybe like more over like land or something. Now, these recommendations will be presented at the task force's next meeting before being heard by the legislature. David Lamb, NTD News, California. The New York Times has struck a deal with Google. It's part of a broad agreement that will allow the newspaper to feature some of its content on Google's platforms. The New York Times is getting around $100 million from Google over three years. The Wall Street Journal first reported on the deal, citing people familiar with the matter. The deal covers distribution, subscriptions, marketing and ad products. The deal comes at a time when the newspaper's revenue has been hit by a slowdown in ad spending and subscriber growth. The New York Times digital ad revenue fell nearly 9% in the first quarter. And inflation slows to 4.9% year over year in April, though this is still much higher than what the Fed wants. U.S. consumer prices increased in April with higher cost of gas and rent. Underlying inflation remained strong as used car prices rebounded. All this could mean that the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates elevated for a while. NTD's Don Ma spoke to a financial advisor to get some tips for how you could protect your money against inflation. Joining me is Brian Coderna, financial advisor and author of the book, What Should I Do With My Money? So we have the CPI number today, 4.9. I think the markets uh, was happy about that. I think it's important for people to understand how they can uh, protect themselves against uh, high inflation. For example, you know, putting their money in a high interest rate savings account. Uh, but let me get your advice uh, for people who, who you think needs to protect their money against inflation. What should they do? Sure thing. So I think if, if you're looking in the, the long term, and usually that's what I'm counseling clients on is, you know, let's not make snap decisions within a few months or even within a year. Let's think about your overall financial plan. And we're, we're talking college planning, retirement planning, and we're looking, you know, three, five years, 10 years, decades into the future. The goal there is to beat inflation over extended period of time, which you can do through the stock market, through real estate and the like. Now, when you're actually within, you know, a bit of an inflation event like we've had the past two years, that's another question of, you know, do we want to protect our money? So the silver lining in all this is as the Fed has, you know, hiked rates, it's made fixed income look more attractive. Okay. So now we're at a point where if they're saying we're thinking about pausing rates, then perhaps the yields on, on treasuries, on investment grade bonds and the like are nearing what could be the high for a while. And so that's where you may see some individuals get into bonds, you know, get into maybe short term bonds or money market instru instruments, high yield savings, maybe lock in with fixed annuities or CDs where they can capitalize on these rates now. Uh, if they're thinking that, yeah, by the end of the year or maybe in 2024, we'll see it go the other way where we'll be back to having uh, rate cuts. All right. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for talking with me today. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Don. Now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with some unfortunate news about Tiger Woods. Thank you, Steph. The PGA Championship, the second major of the golf season, kicks off next week at Oak Hill Country Club in upstate New York, but Tiger Woods will not be participating. The 15-time major champion is still out or recovering from ankle surgery last month, and there's been no timetable announced for his return. Meanwhile, 10th-ranked Jordan Spieth 
who missed this week's AT&T Byron Nelson tournament with a wrist injury, is still hoping to play. Should the three-time major winner finish first, it would complete a career grand slam for the 29-year-old who's already won the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. And in the NFL, the league announced today plans for their first ever Black Friday game coming this November between the New York Jets and Miami Dolphins. New York has high expectations for this year with Aaron Rodgers now on board, while the two teams trace their rivalry all the way back to 1966 in a series narrowly led by Miami. The game is set to air for free on Amazon. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, plenty more playoff action. First in the NBA, New York hosts Miami looking to stave off elimination down three games to one. And in San Francisco, the Golden State Warriors face the same deficit against the Lakers after some surprisingly poor execution down the stretch in game four. And in the NHL, the Florida Panthers look to complete a sweep of the Toronto Maple Leafs with a win at home tonight. While the Edmonton Oilers look for a home win over Vegas as they trail two games to one. And finally, for you baseball fans, a full slate of games today, but only six are on tonight. That includes the New York Mets and ace Justin Verlander. This winning Cy Young winner will be making just his second start of the season. After missing time with a back injury, he'll face the Cincinnati Reds lineup. And that is it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.